I'm Commander Shepard, and Normandy FM is my favorite show on the Citadel. Normandy FM. 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 Hello and welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful, extra magical episode of Normandy FM. Ken, we have so much to celebrate this week. We do. We have not only one excellent guest here, one Mr. Josh Silverman. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you guys for having me. This is a blast. I'm excited to get to do a Mass Effect show again. Not only do we have Josh here, but Josh gets to celebrate with us because we have officially hit the funding goal. This doesn't stop at Andromeda anymore, folks. This is going (laughs) the distance. It's going for speed. It's going right into Dragon Age. All the Dragon Ages. (laughs) The good and the bad. (laughs) The good and the bad. Hey, look, you got to eat your vegetables before you get to your Dragon Age 2. You know, that's what mm-hmm. we've always said around here. Yep. Uh, I think there was a tagline at one point. That that was. That was one of our failed taglines for this podcast. As always, I'm Eric Van Allen, alongside Kenneth Shepard, your co-host on Normandy FM. We'll figure out what the name of this thing is once we get into Dragon Age. We, we're working through a couple subtitles and other ideas but for now we are here talking about mass effect andromeda and today it is all things drac big papa krogan (laughs) josh tell us a little bit about yourself and also like why you wanted to come on for the drac episode specifically i mean about me uh i've been doing podcasting and sort of stuff related to that for about seven and a half years started a podcast that was technically speaking a mass effect 3 fan podcast when we started it um it was just pretty, called Constantly Calibrating, and uh, it was huh. just one of those things where, uh, yeah, the name's not a giveaway at all. I the subject matter. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't make that connection until now. I didn't. Ken. Hmm. All right. I mean, other people calibrate in the universe. I mean, our number one uh, searched results for the first two years of the podcast was how do I calibrate my microphone? So <laughs> it's 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 not at all surprising, but uh, yeah, it's a no, universal it's, uh, concept. Yeah, it's uh, we we went to uh, I went to an event and I got the idea to start a podcast and uh, this was like March fourth of twenty twelve and Mass Effect three came out on March sixth and then we released uh, we did recorded and released our first podcast on March tenth and we did like two episodes of that and then it kind of just evolved from there and yeah I've been doing this stuff for uh, yeah seven and a half years and my choice of Drac was uh, pretty much uh, I love Andromeda uh, as people uh very angrily have heard been very angry at me to hear uh it's my favorite mass effect game oh and i didn't know we had spicy guests on the podcast (laughs) today all right yeah uh i I, i'm a huge fan of uh, of andromeda and it was just a case of um when given the option of companions uh i vetra and drac are the two that stand out to me i have uh, a vetra and a drac pin on my uh, work bag nice. that i bring to events with me that's excellent and, uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I think it's literally just going back to Mass Effect One. Garrison Rex, you know, always mm. on the team. I think it's just the Krogan and uh, and yeah, and that combination, and it just makes me very excited to have like you know my bird and my lizard. <laughs> <laughs> it's that, that's that's it funny because I was it. thinking about it today, and like, can you go ahead? I, I want to hear what you. Well, I was just gonna say like we had people on the show that have varying opinions on Mass Effect Andromeda but I think you're the first person I've met that actively says that Andromeda is their favorite and like not that's not at all like a jab or anything because like through doing this podcast I'm realizing that Andromeda might be like my second favorite just under Mass Effect 3 so I guess like what is it about Andromeda that puts it up there for you? All right, so I've talked about this uh, a few different times, a few different places, but the way, best way I could summarize it is just it filled me with that same sense of wonderment and exploration that the original Mass Effect did, mm. except the thing is I've gone back and played uh, – before Andromeda came out, I went back and played the whole trilogy, and I even have played through Mass Effect 1 I think another time since Andromeda, and as much as I love Mass Effect 1, of the – three you know first games it aged the worst mm-hmm. um it's 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 a great game and the sandbox feel of it's great and all but the combat is just doesn't doesn't feel as good as two and three um the pacing is slower it's more sluggish but it's it's still you're you're being you're being thrown into this brand new world and you're getting to explore and taking all the sights and you're learning about all these new races and andromeda was almost like one learning about races I'm already familiar with, but from a different perspective, how they're now all new to this new galaxy mm. and this sense of wonderment exploration. The first time I set foot on which uh, Vold, I believe, is, is Vold the, the ice planet, I believe? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the first time I set foot on that planet, I was just like, holy. I was just like, I, I was blown away by uh, it, just, it gave me that same sense of scale of the first time you set foot on um, almost any of the Uncharted worlds in Mass Effect 1. Mm. Except it felt like there was stuff there, and I wasn't just driving around aimlessly going from waypoint to waypoint. Right. Um, so I, that's that's like the best way I could summarize it. It's just that same sense of wonderment. That being said, I am more than willing to admit Andromeda is flawed in many ways, mm. and it's it's clearly got its issues. But just for what's important to me in gaming, it just that's what wins it out over three, which was my previous favorite. Mm. I have a weird question that might, the way I phrase it might be incriminating in a way, but uh, <laughs> I was thinking about it today because uh, a lot of those lists have been going around about, oh, top 100 games of the last decade and, and all that yep. kind of stuff. So it's on the front of just about every, like every content creator's mind at this point right now, because you know, we're we're coming to the end of a decade. It's been a whole decade in games. And I was trying to think of the games that stuck out the most to me. And after I got through, you know, like the, the round of usual suspects, uh, one of the games that jumped out at me was Alpha Protocol, which is hailed as a bad game, but which I enjoy Bullshit. very much. Bullshit. I love that game with all my heart. That's the thing. So I was talking to uh, someone else today who was also an Alpha Protocol fan, and they made the point. They were like, it's great because it's bad. Mm-hmm. And and I, I, I've even had this discussion. I, I hosted a, uh, a talk at PAX West a while back with Kara Ellison, and she made the same point where she was saying it, a lot of times a more interesting game can be a 6 out of 10 or a 7 out of 10 and it's those flaws and those inconsistencies and and like the friction between the player and the subject material that can make it more interesting 
when you're playing it. And when I've been trying to describe to people how I felt playing Andromeda, like, especially recently, especially in the last few episodes we've done, I've said, you know, my overall feelings have not changed that much on it. It feels like I'm still at about the same place I've always been with Andromeda, but it feels like the scope, like the contrast there have just gotten wider. So there's a lot that I'm going, oh, wow, this is so incredible. This is really interesting. I can't believe they were doing this and nobody was talking about it. And on the flip side, there are also the things where I'm like, oh, my God, I'm doing this again. Oh, my God, this Mm -hmm. game does this. Oh, my God, why is this done this way? And it makes it, you know, I'm still 100% like Mass Effect 2 is my favorite game in the series because that game just feels like start to finish extremely cohesive, extremely like put together, but it's a very crafted experience in a way that Andromeda isn't like you get a start and finish with Mass Effect 2. There's not really a lot of room in the middle. There's not a lot of extra stuff. You know, there's side missions and things like that, but it's not this big open thing that Andromeda tries to be and it it a lot of times Maybe at the time it was risky, but now with the benefit of hindsight, it did a lot of things that were just very, I don't want to call them safe, but they were, they, they worked well. Whereas Andromeda was swinging in a lot of different ways and trying all these different things. It wasn't going like, okay, here's where we're going to do some things that are new. And here's where we're going to do things that Mass Effect has always done. It felt like it just kind of splayed out in all directions (laughs) to try and do everything, but that makes it a way more interesting game to talk about and discuss in the process. So I don't know if I'm with y'all and how much <laughs> I like it in the series ranking, but this has been one of the more interesting games to talk about and discuss and pick apart just because of that. Well, I definitely think that's, I think you have a lot of good points there. What I was thinking about, you talk about how it just Andromeda is just open and splayed about. The thing is it got the best and the worst because of Dragon Age Inquisition's development. Mm. Uh, Inquisition, I think, is a phenomenal game that is too damn long and has too much going on with it. There's too many side quests, there's too much this, there's too much going on. Andromeda has a lot of that problem as well, because the way I liken it to Mass Effect 1 with the fact that the worlds are more open, it's not like, you know, it's less point A to point B, and it's more like, here's a bunch of different directions and ways you can you could just climb mountains in the Nomad and do all this stuff, and you could take on side quests and story missions and all these different orders and things like that. It has a lot of that, which... Mass Effect 1 was heavy on and 2 and 3 were a little uh, lighter. Those were more uh, structured, I feel like. But because of how open Andromeda is like 1, it also ends up the same problem with Inquisition where it's just like, what the, sh- what the hell am I doing right now? Like, what what is this? Why am I why am I doing this again? It's almost got like a quasi-MMO feel where there's mm, just yeah, too yeah. much content almost and too much non-developed content. It's It's an interesting game for sure. But having said all of that, I will say that I really enjoyed Drax stuff specifically. Uh, the the loyalty mission that we get into here, and my intro into this loyalty mission is a little scattered because the way I jumped into this was scattered because I realized I had done some of Drax's uh, loyalty mission going into this and had not realized <laughs> it, so uh, I had crossed some stuff off already. But the way Drax's loyalty is kind of set up is that it really... I think if you follow it organically, it mirrors the progress of the game as you go. And it feels like it's really responding to the things that Ryder is doing in a way that 
other loyalty missions have been a little bit more like you have these discrete things that you go and do when you're done and then maybe there's some stuff afterwards where you go play a soccer game or go to a garden or whatever but drac has a lot that's set up before during and after major missions then even after the loyalty is done there's additional things on top of that that you can keep doing and it really as i was playing it even today you know i'm playing through it all in one binge pretty much and i was still going drac feels like way more part of the crew just because of the way all the stuff is structured the way that it takes place it feels way more responsive to the things that are happening than other loyalty missions have so far mm. and i yeah. really enjoyed that yeah i think like we talked about in the past loyalty missions like with cora uh you know, they want, or like a lot of loyalty missions are structured in a way that it's kind of supposed to be something you're touching on throughout the game. But Drax, I think, is like the best example of that because you get it, you, like, you get the very first step, like I think as soon as he comes on to the Tempest. So that's like, you know, back around the time we started out at EOS, and it is constantly getting added on upon as the game goes on. Where the other ones, I felt like it was like they had this, you know, short but also dreadfully long preamble before you get to the actual, like, core mission of it, where Drax is, like like I said, is happening throughout the game. And it is, in the grand scheme of things, it's got some of the widest, like, ripple effects to it in terms of the way that it affects relationships in the Andromeda Galaxy. So I guess it makes sense that it also is the thing that you're constantly touching on. Mm-hmm. And- and the way we move through it, so we start out like very early on, as you said, right as we get off EOS, uh, Drac lets us know that uh, he wants us to look into William Spender, who is Addison's assistant in colonial affairs. And this dude sucks. Oh, <laughs> it's this amazing guy how sucks. Awful oh, man. Uh, we basically, we find out that during the uprising, when Addison and the rest of the the nexus recruited the krogan to take care of the the mutiny that happened uh the krogan were supposed to get a greater say in nexus politics but spender pulled a little bait and switch on him basically said hey you never got it in writing and that allowed tan to just be like okay goodbye (laughs) and kick him off and send him off to elodin and that's where we start out is we're running into him just being a massive piece of shit. Uh, Kesh is trying to do as best as Kesh can. And uh, Drac is pretty much saying, like, hey, we need to peg this guy to the wall. We need to figure out what's going on. We need to get the evidence on this guy. And and this is the weird part is that so much of this leading up to the, the larger set piece missions is like espionage and you're doing mm. sneaking around and you're breaking into things. It feels very not Drac yeah. <laughs> in a way. Um, I mean, you don't even necessarily need Drac to do a lot of this stuff. Uh, when the first time you confront Spender, you don't need him with you because that's on the Nexus. Um, later on when you are breaking into spender's apartment to find more evidence you don't need drac there it so again it feels like this natural thing that is happening it's not just part of drac's thing it's part of your overall mission in the nexus Mm -hmm. um so after we head down we figure out that kadara has been where spender has been spending some time so we head down there 
uh, and we beat up some people. And and this is kind of where Ken. I'm I'm just gonna bring it up again. This set of loyalty missions, especially if you're doing them all in a row. So granted, we just said you are supposed to kind of be, like be playing through all this as you're doing all of whatever in the campaign. But because of the way that I played it, at least, oh, you gotta enter and exit so many areas, man, and you're just <laughs> constantly like, oh, okay, I'm gonna land on, we'll land on Elodin, and we'll go to the nearest fast travel point. I'm gonna drive to the place. Of course, there's no like fast travel point near it, so I gotta drive for a while through a couple of like buffering areas and stuff like that. And then I get there and I shoot some people, and they're like, oh, we found a thing. It's an email that says he's got something funny is in his apartment we should go to his apartment that's on the nexus and i'm like god damn it <laughs> yeah <laughs> a lot of backtracking back and forth it's a yeah it's a lot yeah and I, that's where i hit one of my most specific nitpicks with um with andromeda as a whole ken when you when you go to could when you go to any other planet and you're about to leave and you're about to disembark for the Tempest, what button do you hit to confirm that you want to get on the Tempest? Like from the Nomad or? Like from the Nomad, from just about anywhere. Triangle. You hold down Triangle and then it gives you a confirmation window, right? Mm-hmm. What uh-huh. button do you hit in that confirmation window? X? Yeah, yeah. Cross, as some might call it nowadays. Not on this podcast. Not on this podcast. That is the X button. Ken, <laughs> when you are in Port Kadara and you are at the fast travel station that is directly outside the Tempest and you want to get back onto the Tempest, which is right there, right in frickin' front of you, what button do you hit to get on the Tempest? Why would you use the fast travel thing to get something that's right next to you? Because that's how you access it. That's how you get to it. Wait, can no, you, you use there's the like door a... that's next to it? Yeah. Okay, well, they need to stop putting the quest marker on the freaking fast travel station then. So, the second of nitpicks is that not only is that the one time in the entire game that you have to hit a different button to get on the Tempest, or else you're going down to the slums, which is another loading screen, and then another loading screen back, because you can't get to the Tempest from the slums elevator. You have to either go out into the main world and use a travel station there to get back on the tempest or you go back up the elevator and then use the door there why don't they just put the quest marker on the door if you need to get on the tempest (laughs) all i know is i want to make fun but at the same time i very distinctly remember doing this exact sequence in the wrong way many times i did this at least twice today at least twice and i was like oh (laughs) It's a, square it's a weird thing, and it's like a it's not like a fair way to critique it, but there's a lot of stuff in Andromeda, like just from like a, like how practical it is to use. It feels like somebody didn't play it, and like to realize these little things that can really hinder like the most simple progress of like getting back on your ship. Well, I don't know. I, I think the bigger thing there is that it's not necessarily that someone didn't play it. Because I 100% believe that there were playtesters who played this thing. Like, come on, it's it's EA. Of course they did. It's that the people who played it were always the people who played it. And it makes me wonder how often they were bringing in people who had never played through this game before, who were maybe playing through it for the first time for fresh eyes. It, you know, because once you've played a game enough times, like, Ken, you probably have never made that mistake past your, like, second playthrough, I'd imagine. Or probably maybe not. you did once and you forgot about it. 
like it, it just registered really low on the list of things that you notice while playing that game and i imagine it's the same for any playtester who has played through those sections so many times they either have the muscle memory built in to remember that specific interaction or when they do notice it it's just really low on the list of things that they notice that are off about the game whereas i feel people who are playing this for the first time me (laughs) are are going to notice this sort of thing and so it again this is like this is not some damning critique it's just something where i'm like it's it's a little kernel that maybe highlights that like you said there are some things in this game where i go did did no one mention this or or maybe it was just so low on the triage list that they never bothered with it like you know there are things when you read any story about game development where they say hey this is the thing and we're going to list this all out and here are the things we need to fix that are high priority and this is the stuff we need to fix that's low priority and then there's the list of things that are so specific that it's not even worth it to fix and that's just Mm -hmm. how you handle massive games like this because making video games is really freaking hard (laughs) so maybe Maybe that's where it ended up, and now I am just the one specific case who is here railing against it, like, oh, why is the button different? Uh, Who knows? But as we move through Drax's mission, uh, this this preamble to what the actual meat of this story ends up being is, is a little long, but it's basically setting up that yes we're getting evidence that spender is the awful person that we believe he is you go searching through his apartment you find a scrambler uh which makes a really weird humming buzzing sound that's really weird if you have your controller speakers turned on and all that um and there's a lot of logs here that just kind of give us like some some background you know kind of remind you that this guy sucks uh ken you stole the model ship right of course yeah yeah mm-hmm. um finally we get to the tempest and drac lets us know that a colony transport has been stolen and now we get into the real stuff this is the stuff that's worth talking about uh this is a really cool bit because as as josh was saying earlier a lot of andromeda really shines when you have this like you're learning things about a race from the milky way galaxy in a new light and this is the colony transport has a seed vault and at first i was like what do you mean seed vault like why do we like where is just this like plants do we just have like that's where the one cantaloupe seed is and all that (laughs) and no these are actually plants that krogan babies need like these are specific to krogan's children need this to support their growth and grow older and this is kind of the start of a weird thing where I was going like, oh, God, right. Like the same way that people need certain things when they're growing, I guess Krogans would too. And so I guess Krogans have botanists and things like that. Mm. And and it's this really cool moment where, you know, we've talked a lot on this podcast about how interesting it is learning the background of all these different races. And we got some glimpses of that in Mass Effect 2 and 3 with krogan society but we were i felt like there we were seeing krogan society change in front of us and that was the interesting part whereas here we're learning just about not necessarily their government or their religion or their rituals but just their day-to-day life like this Mm -hmm. is the shit that a krogan deals with on any average day 
Well, Krogans in the trilogy are essentially, I mean, they're a warrior race, there's some politics, mm-hmm. there's some information on them, but Andromeda kind of turned them into people. Mm-hmm. Right. I feel like Andromeda turned most of these almost still fantastical kind of races that we learned about, almost all of them kind of just became people, you know? Right. And I think that was the the best thing about it. One of the best things about right. what the game did is it's just like, oh, cool. Krogans have, yeah, a botanist right. and like they have like development stuff. And yeah, we, we know about the genophage and whatnot, but this is like, mm. oh no, they're, they're people and they, they, their babies need formula or what have you. Right. Cause I mean, a lot of the times in this trilogy, you're learning about them from like a very militaristic standpoint. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. what can they do for me for this war that is coming? We're here, it's like everyone is, you know, we are even more of like, a, like kind of like what the Citadel is supposed to be, what you don't really see when you're Shepard because you are seeing things, you know, from that perspective. And if you're on Citadel, it's usually for something that involves the war. We're here, you're just like, people are trying to put down the roots of like the, the basis of the society that are there in the Milky Way that need to kind of start from the ground up. And that includes seed vaults. A, a mm-hmm. seed vault which has all these important seeds that we need to get back. So we head to Elodin and uh, also, Ken, you know that um, he thanks you and says he owes you one. Uh, that same thing happened for me, even though I rescued uh, the Solarian Pathfinder and not the Scouts. Uh, mm, it okay. does So it does get mentioned. That specific thing does get mentioned later on, but I will make note of it uh, when it okay. does. Uh, it only comes gotcha. up. It only came up once for me, so that was that was nice. At least Drac only reminded me of how much he hated me once in this loyalty mission. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so as as we get to Eldin and we find out what's been going on, uh, we we realize the shipments have gone. And at this point, we kind of get a hint of what's going on because they say that oh, they needed codes to get the seed vault. You know, this is to get in. They would have needed some sort of authorization code. So already. If you were not playing this all at once, but you'd been kind of playing it as the game progressed, you might be like, oh, you know, maybe it's so-and-so or so-and-so. But at this point, we're like, it's Spender. <laughs> Spender's behind this. Um, and we also find out about his uh, hired goon. What was his? It was Arone. Arone? Arone. I was like, yeah. it, it sounded like a weird pronunciation of Aaron, but it was spelled even weirder somehow. Like, and I kept calling him alone when I was playing him. I was like, oh, this dude's alone. <laughs> um, it's symbolic. Arone. Uh, Arone sucks. He sucks too. Don't worry. We're going to take care of that. We're going to be taking care of a lot of business. <laughs> um, but we basically, we're the only people who can kind of sneak onto this moon where they have hidden with the transport and get the seeds out safe because we, once again, in the Mass Effect universe, have the only stealth ship that exists. Uh, dun, I love, dun, dun. I love how that's always a narrative device in these games. Like, they went to the Andromeda Galaxy and they were like, man, what kind of ship do we give our main character? Oh, uh, let's give him a stealth ship. <laughs> let's give One that him- can't be shot down. Yeah, yeah, just like a super ship. It's the Goku of ships, uh, <laughs> you know, is what it is. Uh, we land here, and immediately, so I, I was glad that you brought it up, Josh, because I realized this while playing today as well, that I have started to segment off my companions into groups or pairs. So I always bring along, if I bring Drax or Vetra, I have to bring them together. They are a pair. They do not get split up. <laughs> And then Jal and PB are my other pair. And then 
Cora and Liam take care of things on the ship. You know, there's like chores to do. There's trash. To <laughs> Somebody's gonna clean this place up. They're, they're taking care of it. They got it unlocked. You know, Liam's happy to help, and and while well, we, Cora, Cora's gotta do what we say. So, <laughs> um, it's not a power thing. I swear. So, uh. I have I have Drax and Vetra there. We're moving along, and I, I I was really happy I brought Vetra because the actual reason why I think they pair well together is because not only do they have interesting dialogue between the two, because uh, Drac will actually mention you know previous relations with Turians when talking to Vetra because like Vetra's young, but Drac has been alive since. Mm-hmm. the initial Krogan rebellions this dude has is old as this loyalty mm-hmm. mission and subsequent missions start to remind us is this dude has lived he's seen some shit he he's seen all the shit <laughs> <laughs> and uh it i love when he talks with them about with, with vetra about you know like she'll say you know i'm glad we can trust each other and he'll he'll be like yeah because krogans haven't always been able to trust turians and i'd be like oh god right and stuff like um it kind of made me wish again that we had a solarian companion because i would have loved to have had those interactions as well but sadly there's there's only one solarian companion forever uh that that spot's (laughs) been taken we retired that number that jersey uh that's what you do when the player's too good man that's what you do when the player's too good <laughs> fair enough fair enough uh, but I, I was glad i brought vetra along too because she just has some funny quips about working with pirates and drax like yeah these these aren't good pirates they're not even guarding the the back entrance and stuff like that and as as we start going through immediately the tone starts to get set that like drac is just he's kroganing out he is loving this i mean at, at multiple points Ryder is like you seem to really be enjoying this combat more than anyone else should be and he's just <laughs> like oh you're up and like stomp somebody into the ground and it's like at first it's really fun but as the mission goes on it starts to take on like a different tone where you're like mm-hmm. wow this dude kind of has a death wish <laughs> like mm-hmm. he's a little self-destructive um which it it all kind of comes to a head once we we get contacted by Vorn who is a, the Krogan botanist so not only do they have the seed vault that we need but they have Vorn as well and uh we fight our way to Vorn and and get him out and Vorn ends, ends up taking a shot for Drac and saying like oh you mm. know the uh uh raider that we thought we had killed uh tries to shoot Drac and Vorn jumps in the way and it doesn't doesn't do any damage but drac freaks out because he's like you're more valuable than i am and Vorn's like you need to stop thinking of yourself as expendable and mm. thus we come to the larger theme of the loyalty mission and drac and so i, I kind of wanted to get a sense of like where y'all were at when this this happened because up to this point you know i i think like most other people I was thinking of Drac as like, oh, this is just another Erd not Rex. You know, they mm. they were like, let's put him in a galaxy, but you got to have the Krogan that kicks a lot of ass. Let's let's make Erd not Rex 2.0. And when you think about the Krogan companions that we've had so far, you know, Grunt's storyline was very much about what it means to be Krogan and what it means to be a person and, and like finding identity and things like that uh or not rex was kind of in the similar vein but it was more about like what does it mean to be a leader what does it mean to uh 
fight for something larger than just yourself whereas Drac like hits some of those same notes but his is like what does it mean to live for something what like what Mm. value does your life have and how much you know does it mean to you that you're giving it to something larger than yourself but also something other than yourself you know we up to this point Mm. we're kind of coming to the coming head to head with the fact that he's got this death wish you know he thinks of himself as just this expendable tool in a universe that's running out of a use for him so I wanted to get y'all's sense about where you were at coming into this part of the loyalty mission. I mean, I kind of was viewing Drac uh, in a way of, yeah, he's the Krogan character. He's what we're given, you know. Um, I, I kind of looked at it a little way more simplistically um, mm-hmm. with Rex and Grunt. Rex was middle-aged Krogan. Grunt was, you know, baby Krogan. And mm-hmm. then Drac is old man Krogan kind of mentality. So, you know, I looked at him as this... Uh, this just this old guy who you know he um uh you know he's, he's just one one day from retirement kind of mentality and uh i i honestly i spent most of the game expecting him to be the person the character killed off regardless of the choices you made mm-hmm. i assumed he was going to have some moment uh some surprise moment or something like that so um while i loved him as a character i didn't necessarily want myself to become too attached coming into this mission and you know him being told by Vorn you know that you're way more important yada 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 that whole thing it was kind of this like crystallizing moment where for me where I was like oh so like it was almost like I kind of felt almost like what Drac I would theorize was feeling where it like you know it's that moment where it's like I guess I do have still a use because you know as as you guys said earlier he's this incredibly old Krogan he has seen almost all of the stories at least related to most of the Krogans and stuff like that and everything that we've heard about in the trilogy he's seen it all so it's like he's now it's like he's more than just some like living historian Mm. you know he's he's knowledgeable he knows stuff he has experienced more than most other Krogans have because most other Krogans don't live this long because they you know die as mercenaries or get Mm -hmm. experimented on or what Mm. have you so it was like it was an appreciation for my grandfather moment. Just to finish yeah. off what I was saying. The, I, because like Vorn talked about it, like you're important because you lived through all our history, and it got me thinking to like the way that we celebrate people that went through like you know the worst times in our history. Like mm-hmm. I mentioned, in my notes like Holocaust survivors or like people that lived through the AIDS crisis, like things like that. Like you're. Like you might feel like you have like lived past your age, but like you have lived through so much that we don't like we read about in books or we like in you know the mass effect universe a lot of the stuff is probably fairly well you know kept like what because you know everything's scientific so nothing everything's sort of preserved in that way but Vorn talks about like it's important that this person that has lived through all of our history can be here like it's just because you're you're old and you feel like you've you know done enough like no you are an important like you are this important figure for us especially in andromeda where that's like a history that has been left in another galaxy but you're here you're this symbol for us don't take that lightly Mm -hmm. it's Hmm. it's a really interesting moment i like that y'all are saying he's he's like this this walking history book you know he's he mentions it later in the um in the loyalty mission this idea that he's aware of not only his own 
tendencies to be self-destructive but of the krogans in general like that was one of the the main things that when we were doing i mean we i think we've touched on it a little bit but we haven't uh like talked about all of it because uh we're saving some of it for the the pathfinding episode but the when you're working with the krogan on eladin and you're trying to help them out you get a lot of pushback because you you get told frequently like remember what happened when we gave the krogan power in the milky way and this could just happen all over again and having drac there as someone who has seen not only other species destroy the krogan but the krogan destroy the krogan and someone who can be that like guiding voice that you know to help the younger generations not only like grow and live but to avoid past mistakes is so critical and it, it's almost like Drac doesn't want to acknowledge that and, and we we touch on those reasons later on so i won't get into those too much but it's it's a level of depth that i i feel like Drac never gets credit for because even when mm. i was talking about andromeda to friends leading up to this you know i'd be talking about like oh yeah chorus sucks and liam's a total <laughs> bro and all that when i got to Drac, they'd always be like oh yeah he's just or not rex he's just rex again just it, you know you bring him along if you want Rex. Now, I didn't have any experience to refute that. I was just like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'd kind of written Drac off at this point. And going into this afternoon when I played this mission, I was like, okay, let's just, I guess we'll see what Drac's up to. You know, maybe we do some fun stuff and take care of the Nexus. And instead, a lot of his stuff ends up being surprisingly touching and thoughtful. And why is this, like... I'm finding every single person who told me that this is just a Rex clone and mm. and kicking them in the quads is what we're doing. <laughs> um, so after we, we collect ourselves, uh, Drac just straight up Kool-Aid mans through a wall <laughs> and just annihilates some dudes. And there's we haven't... At this point, we haven't mentioned all the, the amazing moments that happened, but he's got some great lines in this mission like my favorite that i took a screenshot of was there's only one thing getting destroyed here today and that's you and this place and also your boss and probably your entire crew so a lot of things are getting destroyed here actually and all of them are yours (laughs) like he's he's so like it's a mixture of just scatterbrained but also like carefree and he's just he knows that he says dumb things, but he just rolls with it because he doesn't care anymore. Like, he's just... He's gonna do what he wants because he's the oldest living Krogan in the Andromeda galaxy who's still alive after all these years. So, like, fuck all y'all. He's gonna do what he wants. <laughs> like, um, mm. So, after... He also um, gets... Well, I'll just say, like, he also gets those uh, nice interactions with Vorn because Vorn apparently has feelings for Kesh and... Oh, I didn't And get... Track was, like... Oh yeah, yeah. Because like, you're, as you're like, okay, he contacts you first, and then as you're going through to like, find him, uh, he says, "Pathfinder, if I don't make it, can you give Cash my love?" And then Drax says, "Don't be stupid, of course." But wait, what did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get that yeah. dialogue. Oh man, I had some weird stuff with dialogue moment. this this mission though. Like as I was touching down on Eladin for this mission, it was like pathfinder this site looks good for an outpost and then i landed at the app at the outpost that i already established like it's it was already set up there i had more weird stuff with that i, I think we talked about it last weekend or maybe it was in the lead up when i was playing colony stuff leading up to this point 
about just weird moments where the game was like hey here's this thing like here's what's going on and i'm like that's the opposite that's the other choice that's the one i didn't pick (laughs) and i would like double check it i'd be like that that was right right like i did the thing i wanted to do and it'd be like oh yeah no you're right you got it um the game definitely has a bunch of moments like that 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 happened in my playthrough as well where it's like okay i made this choice but all the dialogue options the switch has been flipped incorrectly kind of stuff Mm-hmm. It's it so, is what yeah. it is. Like we said, it's not a perfect game. It's the game we're no. talking about. And so, finally, we get to kind of what the the last big set piece of the mission is, which is just fighting a ton of a ton of enemies. At this point, like Ken, oh man, I hit like maxed out level in a lot of my biotics, and I don't remember what specific interaction causes this, but I have the lift that hits multiple targets, and then mm-hmm. when I biotic combo with my lance not only does it do just a fuck ton of damage because it's my lance but it also causes rippling explosions around the impact area bless it <laughs> and man they're like we talked about this in a recent episode that this game you know i i didn't play a lot of biotic stuff you know i do vanguard charge shotgun stuff but i didn't play like hardcore biotic in previous mass effects but this game nails that feeling of being a biotic god so well. Like, when I did that, the first time I did that, because this was the first combat mission I played since getting those upgrades, I lifted up a group, and they were all just floating there, and I just threw a lance into it, and it just, I mean, it just annihilated them. And it was like all these biotic explosions going off and bodies flying everywhere, and I was just like, oh, oh, this is good. (laughs) This is good. I like this. And then, of course, like one enemy with shields shows up, and I'm like, oh, now I don't get to have fun anymore. <laughs> because, yeah, there's there's still no way for me to deal with that. And I'm still trying to figure out what my answer is to people with shields or armor or anything but health. But for everything else, we've got yeah. the magic combo. <laughs> I just played the game entirely as a sniper pretty much from start to finish, mm. which regularly broke the game. Um, really? Yeah, um, Korra has, it happened a couple times, the one that stands out, Korra has her, I think it's her loyalty mission where you go to Vold, and the enemies spawned in well before I got to them, and I'm a sniper, so I'm like, cool, and I just took them out at a distance, it, mm. it, I was beyond overpowered, my weapon was ridiculously powered, so it, like, yeah, I just took them out instantly, and then I ran over, and just, it didn't trigger anything, nothing happened, I must have mm. wandered around there for 30 minutes. Uh, I discovered that you actually have to go trigger dialogue. You have to get close enough to trigger dialogue before you kill them. So (laughs) that happened to me a lot with a sniper. I like that. (laughs) I guess, like, especially in a game like this, like, there's so many different variables that I don't feel like they could plan for to, like, find testing. So I guess that's just one of those things where it's, like, I guess they didn't think that somebody was going to be, like, such a powerful sniper that they could win the fight before they'd even really started it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there was a few moments like that in the game where it was just like I po- ultra powerful sniper just took everything out and then walked over and it's like shit. When did I last mm. save? <laughs> mm. But we all know that the most powerful move in Andromeda is dropping someone off the side of a fucking building into the chasm below, as we get to do soon to Arone because <laughs> he tries to show up and take Vorn hostage at gunpoint after we kill all these mechs and, and bad dudes and. Then Vorn has his moment of awesome botany abilities because he apparently brought like a noxious gourd with him. <laughs> like I was, I was trying to figure this out, Ken, because I was like, "Wait, 
so he was in an enclosed container with noxious like plant gas fumes like he just Mm. had this stuff on hand in that container like it is a little bit like you know whatever it's it's the the thing that he needs at the time he needs it i can't think of that idiom all of a sudden now it's really killing me um but it's it it was a cool moment because in the lead up to all this like vorn had been portrayed as weak and like a Mm. lesser krogan because of it like drac makes some comments are like don't know how he got to adulthood and you know he's pretty weak he doesn't have much survival instinct and then he just has this badass moment where he's just like i got this and he like punctures the gore he's just like just wait and then he's just like as the dude is lying there like knocked out unconscious and stuff he's just like oh test went pretty well and i'm like dude that's (laughs) like a morning move that's so Mm. good that's Let's get Vorn on the team, man. <laughs> Let's hook it up. Um, and then uh, as as Arone comes to, uh, Drac is literally dangling him off the side of the space space pad, helipad, I don't know, whatever. But uh, in, in a very, what I would say is iconic shot of Drac holding him by the ankle and Shepard. Shepard. You did it again. You, Come I on. did it again because your name is normal again. <laughs> <laughs> uh because and Ryder's there in that ultimate like power pose just like what's up how's it going how you how, how's it hanging buddy uh ken did you drop him of course josh did you drop him 90 percent sure yes okay i dropped him too that that dude's a racist that dude's trying to end a yep. race he gets to meet whatever is at the bottom of that very very deep chasm <laughs> Gravity got play of the game. Mm-hmm. Yep, the way I played it was I was just like my my way of playing uh, my my rider was for the most part people deserve second chances unless you're a racist mm-hmm. prick and you're mm-hmm. trying to commit genocide. <laughs> That's kind of how I played most of the game. That's another tagline for normally of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> most people get second chances unless you're racist. Uh, there you go. So as we we gather our stuff, you know, Vorn gets one little last laugh line of oh you know you're not expendable and Drax like oh oh, I want to be old and cranky and stuff but once you actually get back to Elodin you have like a little heart to heart with Drax and Mm -hmm. this is the part where I was talking about where he acknowledges that he's a warrior and that's all he's known and he's he's kind of caught in between trying to figure out whether this galaxy doesn't need him or whether it needs him but in a way that he's just still trying to figure out how he can be that uh and obviously you know like i tell him like we need you come on come on buddy Mm. come on like everyone needs you just because you're like you are a warrior but you're more than that and oh so ken this is where this is where he brings up the the scouts and the solarian your past Um, sins uh what your past sins oh yeah so he brings it up here by saying, um, just remember, Ryder, I have my priorities. And Ryder's kind of like, what? And Drax's like, I haven't forgotten about the Solarian and the Scouts. And I understand that you made a decision that day based on your priorities. And I'm just saying that you have your priorities and I have mine. Remember that. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay. Are we good? Are we good, buddy? I don't know if we're good. That doesn't feel like we're good. Can we talk a little bit more? This feels bad. <laughs> that feels like a... 
I feel like in the, in the event that there's ever a sequel to this game, I feel like Drax gonna fucking try and kill you. Like I just that's what I feel is gonna happen. That it, yeah, it almost feels like that moment when, like almost like in Mass Effect One, you have that thing where Rex, even when you talk him down, he it almost feels like he still just wants to kill you, and you've just talked him down this one time, <laughs> like. Mm. You, you have talked him out of it this one time. And that's kind of how I felt with Drax's talk here. So I don't know if it would have necessarily, like, signaled a flag for a future conflict. But I do feel like, again, like we talked about this before the podcast, but there's a scene uh, post-credits that only happens if you chose to save the Scouts and not save the Solarian Pathfinder. And you don't get that if you made that choice. And so that's maybe you know symbolic of it even if it wasn't going to carry forward into future games it was a choice that the writers felt deserved a great deal of weight attributed to it mm. um so at this point we have gained drax loyalty of course it like after that moment it's like you got drax loyalty and i'm like i don't feel like i did <laughs> it doesn't asterisk to it uh <laughs> yeah drax loyalty kind of <laughs> uh but there's actually a lot more that we have a chance to do here so uh i'll say that actually if i could yeah. cut you off for a second i was just just thinking about this uh, you know you say you, you, you have with an asterisk you have drax loyalty that's actually one thing particularly with this game but kind of all mass effect games have bothered me is the use of the term loyalty mission mm-hmm. Be- it, i always felt like it should be more like uh your teammate, I guess I get it's more wordy and stuff like that, and loyalty is a very clear-cut thing, but it always felt like a, a lot of characters, it was more like, this character finally is not thinking about other shit. They're, right. It's like, mm-hmm. they're, they're not distracted, you know, um, almost like. So, because, yeah, you can make choices in Drac. It, 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 again, it's like an asterisk on there. Like, well, he, he's, he's mm. loyal? <laughs> well, it's more like focus. I don't know. Like, is focus mission yep, something so that makes sense? The yeah, exactly. The interesting thing they'll bring up here is that the only time I believe, and Ken, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong about this on my own podcast, on our own podcast, uh, that the only time that loyalty missions are ever like codified like this, that you are given an actual thing that says this is a loyalty mission, you have gained someone's loyalty, is in Mass Effect Two and in Mass Effect Andromeda. Because in Mass mm-hmm. Effect 1, you have things like Rex's armor, where that gives you an edge in certain conversations, but it's not it's not a loyalty mission. Right. And in Mass Effect 3, you have like different paths that you can go down and, and more conversations, but they're never really ascribed to right. a level of loyalty. The only time that you have this explicit, you have gained someone's loyalty, you are maxed out rank with them, whatever is in two when you are about to go on a suicide mission and mm. you need them to be focused on the mission and not be worried about, you know, if they've had their affairs in order and all that. And then in Andromeda where everyone's still got these lingering ghosts that they've brought with them from the Milky Way, or they have other things that are just bothering them that maybe the cat aren't their primary concern right now because they have things that are closer to home that they're more worried about. Mm. And so it, I do feel that, yeah, loyalty is, like, a good word that just, like, succinctly brings it all together and says, like, hey, this is what this is. Like, you, it's almost like they, they understand it. Like, I'm not thinking about this in terms of the broader Mass Effect series and the idea that going into Andromeda, people were probably expecting, 
oh what are the loyalty missions like how many will there be loyalty missions for all the characters but that thing was only ever like a like it it was introduced in two and that was the only time when it was ever really a thing you know mass effect 3 did not have that but i guess if you are a dragon age player and you had played dragon age 2 and played dragon age inquisition you were very used to that idea at this point so it's interesting i'm now thinking about that in terms of broader bioware since we're now expanding to those regions (laughs) um but we have a bunch of extra stuff post loyalty so let's before we get to well now let's talk about spender real quick um we we get all of our evidence together um i actually don't know what happens here if we did leave Aron alive if that ends up just like backing our case up a little bit more or not uh mm. but over like we have all the evidence we need to to get spender so we we gather everyone together and he's just of course just making these terrible excuses that are like oh you know they were forcing me to do it and stuff like that and you can totally call him out on his bullshit um and everyone in the room kind of realizes like okay this this guy's been full of shit um and addison you have the opportunity to dunk on addison for it and be like yeah you should have realized what was going on i did not i I didn't either it was at that point it just felt like unnecessary Mm mm-hmm it's uh it, it's it's a little extra and and she even says as much like i know i i messed up this is my fault uh but more importantly uh did y'all jail him or did y'all exile him get off my station yeah that was clear exile it, it was you or our jails are for you know people who can be reformed you're just a sack of shit get off my <laughs> well and i was also like man why does he get to hang out in a jail and we we like feed and clothe him and shit like that Mm -hmm. when hey he clearly loves hanging out with the exiles and giving (laughs) them stuff why doesn't he just go hang out with them no i'm saying hope there's not you know hope we don't send any messages to the krogan letting him know you know (laughs) this is where you're docking just saying uh yeah no i was totally like look you know drac we're gonna we're going to do this by the books but let's just say that once he's left Nexus space, maybe an accident happens. Maybe some stuff goes down. Who knows? You know, anything can happen out there. It's it's the Andromeda galaxy. There's a lot going on. Maybe he gets fed to a worm. Who knows? <laughs> so um, now that we've taken care of Spender, we get to do a little bit of extra stuff with Drac. Um, we can get into a bar fight at Krala's Song, which is great. And and that's not really like a, it's not a big story like story moment for Drac, but it is just a really fun scene because not only mm. do we get to see like this fun bar fight where they're just all doing, getting into crazy you know fist fights and there's like a Solarian dude who just starts like wailing on Ryder with this weird war cry that he has <laughs> and the bartender <laughs> pops up and smacks a bottle over somebody and they have a lot of good lines with each other and all that but it's. I felt like it was the thing, especially for my rider after the ending of that loyalty mission that I needed to be like, okay, we're cool mm-hmm. now. All's well. We beat up people together and had a drink together. It's all great. Good job, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, he, he ends it by asking us to not tell Kesh. And I feel like that leads into... Uh, 
that kind of leads into what this next mission i mean obviously like structurally it does lead into this next mission and like what you know what i feel like the main thing of drax stuff is but uh we we head back to the tempest and we see alexi checking on uh drax vitals basically like everything that's happening with drac and we get the sense that okay drac is not as like put together as he seems and he's actually like in pain a lot and he's running out of organs and he's just he's getting old he's very Mm -hmm. very old and he's just been he's been in war for years and years and years and it's all kind of like catching up to him um i love that ken like this last part this last mission which is very tiny it's one dialogue but it's so many bullet points for you in your notes because it is it feels like the big cap off for drac and like what he is as a character because it's a very you know you find out that he was just this complete mess of a krogan and he probably wouldn't have lived as long as he has now if kesh had not been given to him to take care of Mm. and he talks about getting it all together and surviving ain't always living and that might not have happened without Kesh. And now he's suddenly in, in a galaxy where Kesh is thriving and the things that he used to have to do to get by, you know, almost the same as Vetra and Sid, he has to learn who he is in this new universe mm. without Kesh to necessarily define that. Uh, right. I, I was wondering how y'all kind of felt at, at kind of the, the wrap-up of Drax's character here. Uh, I, so well, you go. Okay, go ahead. No, you go first. Okay, well, my takeaway from the theme, like, along with everything you said, is, like, he, you know, after everything that he went through, finally found a reason to actually, like, have a a life with meaning beyond, you know, violence and warfare. But the thing that my sort of takeaway from the scene was that I could see, you know, in the, the hypothetical next game, Drag not being a squad mate, like, being a character that is, you know having more of, like, a Thane-style role where he's, you know, he wants to just, you know, relax for the rest of his days and then maybe, like, mid-wave or near the end of the game, you get an email that's, like, from Kesh, like, hey, things are looking bad. I'd like for you to be here for this. And where he gets to, like, maybe have that sort of moment where he is finally fully at peace with everything he's done and then, you know, he felt like he made the most of his years here in Andromeda and that he hopes that he did everything he could for the Krogan for Kesh. And so that's that's a very sad note to leave it on because everyone else, like, it very much leads on, like, hope. Like, hope that they are going to have the life they always wanted and dreamed of in Andromeda where Drac just, it felt very much like he was coming to the terms with the fact that whatever it is, whatever it is that he wants to do with his life, he needs to kind of find out now because he doesn't have a whole lot of time left. Mm-hmm. Josh, what about you? I mean, for me, yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, I kind of just nailed it for me. It's it felt like just this this experience where Drac had been like the kind of you know loudmouth grandpa kind of character talking about you know old times and stuff like that, and you're kind of left off with this experience where you're like you understand the power of uh, a family of his family. And what that did for him, because, yeah, he probably would not have lived as long uh, put into uh, another circumstances, put into the fact that he didn't have, you know, a a granddaughter to raise. And suddenly here is 
Drac kind of like laid bare before you mm-hmm. almost in this moment. Like he's just, uh, I hate to use like the term, but it's like, you just, you, you see the, you, cause it's not accurate really necessarily, but you see the humanity of him almost, you know, you see just the exposed nature of him. He's, he's, he, he is who it, who he is. Um, and yeah, I could see that if there had been or will be or what have you, whatever they go with Mass Effect from here, if there was, you know, more to Drax's story that he is just like this side character that you, you know, you hear about, maybe you, you, you visit him at the end kind of uh, moment mm-hmm. because that, yeah, unlike a lot of the other companions you're given in Andromeda who feel like they truly have more to the story, there's more adventures, there's more journeys in, in Andromeda. Drac kind of just feels like like the first time they really truly just wrap up a character with a knife, almost like with a neat bow on him. Right. And it even like, I, I took a screenshot of this particular line because I loved it so much, but it, he was saying um, all the time raising Kesh, uh, he learned like one lesson that was really important. And he basically says like, parents you always think that your parents are the finish line. Like that's where you're supposed to get to. That's who you're supposed to be. But really parents are the starting line and everything past that is you. And Mm -hmm. it's like him coming to terms with the fact that like, uh, again, to like pull in other media, one of my favorite lines from the last Jedi is at the, the very uh, near the end of the movie when Luke is talking to Yoda and sorry for spoilers out there. If you've not seen the last Jedi yet, (laughs) um, Luke is talking to Yoda and Yoda says it's one of the hardest parts of being a master is becoming obsolete is when your student surpasses you and time has surpassed you and you are just, you know, the generation is taking over and you are fading out. And there's like really good subtext in there for star Wars because it shows you the difference between people like Luke and Yoda who learn to accept that and, and just move on with training the generation and being a mentor Whereas the Sith want to hold on to that glory as long as possible, and that's why they kill each other all the damn time. But in the same sense, like Drac is coming around on that idea too, that he doesn't need to be the warlord anymore. He doesn't need to be this commando who's going to go through everything, killing everything, you know, the great unstoppable Drac. When you find him on Eos, he's just running around by himself killing shitloads of Ket. Like he's because he has just decided that is the best use of his time and he's just going to be Drac and he's going to do that until the end of his days because he thinks that's just the best use for him. And this whole loyalty mission is about showing him that not only is that like a bad way for him to spend his twilight years, but there's so much more that he can do and so much more that he can provide in the time that he's got. And all of this will outlast him. And I I feel like this is a good time to bring up the post game scene, which is if you had rescued the scouts, uh, post game, uh, Kesh and Drac have a writer come to the Nexus to see a big secret. And you find out that, uh, Kesh has given live birth to Krogan babies and that the genophage is not going to be this massive plague in Andromeda like it was in the Milky Way. Uh, and that's, I feel like that's just a really touching way to close that storyline out because it's that moment of not only are you seeing the generations that are going to take over and, and lead in Andromeda before your own eyes, but it's Drac is, is kind of acknowledges it and, and says like, this is, 
like I've been part of the future now. I've I've shaped our mm. future. Uh, it almost makes me think that were there an Andromeda sequel, what if it didn't take place immediately after Mass Effect Andromeda? What if it took place, you know, decades, centuries into Andromeda's development? And the only way you knew of these characters were through their descendants, through their logs, mm. through records of the history of their founding of Andromeda. Like, that would be interesting. So... <laughs> <laughs> My dream for Andromeda 2 essentially was that we were going to jump a uh, hundred plus years. That was mm-hmm. always my dream for it that, you know, yeah, maybe some of the long live races would be s- still around as you know, older characters, but, uh, you know, Ryder would be gone and you know, the sh- all the Salarians you knew would be gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would just be like, you know, the, the, the descendants that was, I always thought that was the coolest way of doing things. Yeah. Maybe uh, would be or the best longer lived like characters like Kesh and stuff like that, like the alien races that have longer lifespans might still be around, but all the short-lived characters and maybe even some of the ones like Drac and stuff might not be around anymore. And you're mm-hmm. kind of seeing the ramifications of what you've done. And that's, I think that's a more interesting way to take it too, because then not only are you kind of like circumventing the weird thing of having to have a save file to port forward and all that, like all the other Bioware games have had in the past, you know, maybe you do have info to import, but it's not necessarily like you have to import your whole, like all this stuff that needs to have these conclusions and resolutions, but instead you can take like a much broader look that the character you're shaping isn't even necessarily your main character. It's not necessarily your writer, but it's, your Andromeda, like your your galaxy is what's changing and and you're affecting that change at a small scale and seeing how it ripples out. Well, I mean, even then, you know, you're you're putting through your your changes and your choices you made in Andromeda to Andromeda two, and those choices would affect I mean, does is there a statue to your rider somewhere? Uh are is the Andromeda Initiative did it develop uh you know, better relations with, uh, with Jalzerus, with the Angar. Did it, you know, did all these like little things, uh, happen and kind of stuff. And what, what relate, like essentially you're building, instead of building over games, your relationship with Garrus or your relationship with, uh, with Liara, you're building your relationship between entire races, between entire cultural things. And the fact that the game was named Andromeda, I know that was because we're going to the Andromeda, you know, galaxy, but I always kind of thought after playing the game what if that's just it's the andromeda series because we're seeing the development of this new galaxy mm-hmm. and you know we're not seeing uh you know these these necessarily these these micro moments it's all it's micro moments building into macro moments counterpoint <laughs> i want to see Ryder be a dad hey hey you could still do that you could learn all about not if they're dead you can learn about all of Ryder's history with with Gil and all the the lovely children they had. And you might even get to meet one of those kids. Maybe <laughs> they would be dead a hundred years. It's, from it's a hundred years in the future. You get to meet their grandkids, and they get to tell you stories about grand, Grandpa Ryder and Grandpa Gil and the wonderful adventures they had and how much they looked up to them. That wouldn't that wouldn't swell your heart a little bit. No. And then you get to hang out with Kid Ryder. It'd be great. It's Kid Ryder. See, I think this is I think this is fundamentally why I I am going to like a certain part of Dragon Age Inquisition more than you are. <laughs> this is exactly where I think we're going to differ on Inquisition as well as many other things, but one specific point involving 
a hawk <laughs> that we are going to differ on. <sighs> dun, dun, dun. But as with all episodes, we're, of course, we're ending with talking about Mass Effect Andromeda 2 and how much we'd love to see that. But I just want to thank Josh for coming on. Thank you so much for, for sharing your hot takes with us today here on the Drac episode <laughs> of Normandy FM. No, I mean, thank you for having me. This has been a blast. Uh, again, I don't get to talk Mass Effect as much uh, as I used to on stuff. So when the opportunity came to discuss literally anything related to Mass Effect, I, my response, I think, was just simply like, cool, what, what, what's the topic? Let's just, let's just dive in. <laughs> well, are you a Dragon Age fan? Are we going to have to get back in touch for, for the Dragon Age seasons? Mass Effect, while it's my pretty much my favorite game series and it literally it launched my career, uh, Thetis is my favorite fictional world. Oh. Uh, I've read, I've played every game more more than I played Mass Effect games, save like Mass Effect One, and I've read every book. I think almost every book and comic book. So yes, okay. I would love mm. to come back for that. So we're gonna also I have a hot take on Dragon Age Two. Oh, oh. wait do you do you enjoy Dragon Age Two? Are you a Dragon Age Two enjoyer? Oh, I meant I meant I I. Uh, have a hot take in Dragon Age T-O-O is what I meant, but oh, uh, Dragon okay. Age 2 is actually my favorite uh, Dragon Age. Can do we just have, like, something about us that attracts all the Dragon Age 2 lovers? Because, like... People have good taste. They have good taste in podcast friends, and they've got good taste in video games. It's, just... <gasps> it's, it's been slowly infecting me. That's the worst part, is I'm going like, oh, well, Inquisition's always been the best, and I sit there and I'm like, wait, do I like Dragon Age 2 more? <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> oh, okay, well... You'll get to find out on Normandy FM as we are moving forward to Dragon Age. Uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash Normandy FM. You can see all that laid out. Uh, eventually, we're going to figure some stuff out because obviously uh, we are, you know, obviously like Ken and I both work in the industry and it is review season, baby. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> there are video games. They are happening right now. And Ken and I have to cover them at some point and also we've been doing this for every week straight for over a year now at this point uh, uh we're coming up on a year we're coming up on a year right right um because it was in seven, seven day yes uh almost a full year of this so we are between mass effect and dragon age i have mandated that we take a small break if only just so that we can not be playing catch up with Dragon Age because that's Origins is a very large game to just go one week we have been playing Andromeda and the next week we're playing Origins. That's a big jump. We want to give ourselves times to recuperate and do some background research and get guests lined up for all our seasons and all that. But also that gives y'all time to jump into it as well. And we'll talk about the logistics of how that works. Um, we need to do some research on our end to figure all that stuff out uh, in terms of what that means for Patreon and how that works. Don't worry, we will be putting something out there shortly that will take care of that and also give a rough outline of what we're looking at for the Dragon Age season once it's once it starts, which will be sometime in the new year, in 2020. So Andromeda will take us through 2019. We'll have a break, and then once the new year starts, we'll figure out what we want to do for origins but if you want to support us in the meantime patreon.com slash normandyfm or you can head over to twitter.com slash normandyfm show if you want to support us at high tiers you can get that shout out tier like anthony our newest shout out tier member alongside ruben thank you both so much for supporting if you want your name shouted out if you want to send in questions if you want to get ready for that big 
Dragon Age, you got stuff you want to ask us or our guests about Dragon Age, you can send those in. Just make sure that you are at that tier where you can send those questions in and you can ask us whatever and we will answer it within reason but i mean like we've talked about turian porn on this podcast before we've we've been places <laughs> the limit is below the floor <laughs> so uh for everyone here for ken for myself for josh thank you so much for tuning in we'll see you next time uh when we're talking pb i believe right ken yep yeah we'll be seeing you next week for pb and fingers crossed hopefully a guest we are figuring that out right now because we've had to do some last minute changes so it'll either be just ken and myself or a guest who knows but it'll all be fun here on normally fm Dormidia film.